Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have details on the USDA June WASDE report. And up first in today's country comments, we'll get an update on pasture conditions in Manitoba. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us now is Melissa Atchison, Vice President with Manitoba Beef Producers, to give us an update on pasture conditions. This area specifically, we're pretty optimistic about the the higher land. The upland pastures are looking terrific. Uh, We did take a lot of rain, and uh, although I was cursing the sand last year in the drought, I'm pretty happy to have that kind of drainage we have now here. Our low-lying pastures are another story. They're, They're underwater. They're pretty mucky, pretty pucky, so... The grass there is either underwater or quite washy, so we have to be careful what we're doing there. How's the, um, you know, for uh, producers, how's the feed supply, you know, did uh, many have to turn out to pasture a little bit earlier this year? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of a choice. Uh, You were either out of feed or you scrounged them up from far away, but uh, the the feed pile is definitely gone, and there's certainly... Certainly not a lot of reserves going into next year. It's, a, it's the first year for many folks not having a uh, a reserve pile going into the carryover for the winter. So, yeah, there were some cows going out maybe perhaps before the pastures were ready, but uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I imagine, um, you know, dugouts and, and sloughs are, are pretty much uh, full? Oh, yeah, they're, t- they're topped right up where... We're pretty happy to have some water this year, where last year that was definitely a limiting factor to the pastures that we could uh, graze. If, if there was no water in the dugout, uh, there certainly wasn't an option. And hauling water is, is not uh, economical. It's very time-consuming. And with the you know the warmer weather here this week, how are the uh, forage crops looking? Yeah, pretty good, actually. The alfalfa is coming up nice. We had a bit of a frost on last week, Friday morning, so it, it did touch some things here and there. The alfalfa looked a little bit curled up um, and a bit of winter kill on some of that alfalfa, actually. Um, so just being careful and mindful. It was a bit stressed last year with the drought, obviously. But, uh, yeah, forage crops are coming up good. Uh, we, we could just use some more heat. <laughs> and I don't, wanna, I don't want to say this too loud for folks who are really underwater, but we actually could use a little bit of rain. That was Melissa Atchison, Vice President with Manitoba Beef Producers. Joining us now is Tara Bergen. Coordinator for the Green Gold Program with Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. She's here to give us an update on the alfalfa crop. Uh, this year we have uh, 21 uh, fields uh, that we are testing throughout uh, Manitoba. It's very widespread. Uh, we have had a really good uh, results of uh, producers wanting to uh, join our program this year. And how are, how are things looking uh, with the crop, alfalfa crop this year so far? Uh, the fields are looking pretty good with the amount of rain that we've had. Uh, we've had a little bit of uh, frost damage in a few sections where it was just slightly touched, but it shouldn't affect the overall crop. The current height is averaging about uh, 17 to 19 inches, depending on the area. And uh, when would you expect the uh, first cut might take place? Uh, we're expecting it within the next uh, week or two. Any other issues? Is there, you know, any issues with, with insects or anything like that? Or? Uh, currently, there hasn't been, but uh, it is early in the season still. So, 
I guess just overall, how how is the crop uh, looking? You know, is it is it uh, with all the rain we've had this spring? You know, is it is it looking pretty good or? Yes, uh, the crop is looking pretty good on the height and like the thickness of the uh, the plant itself. Uh, hopefully, we will have a great crop this year. As far as uh, nutritional value, has has any testing been done there, or that is that done later on? Uh, the testing has been going on right now. Uh, the, the value of the crop it was looking pr- fairly well in uh, the majority of the areas where we are testing at. What is that value called again? Uh, the relative feed value. Right. Okay. Is there a, is there a number there that uh, you've been seeing? Or? Uh, they'd be averaging currently at around the 220 va- value. What are you kind of looking for there? Uh, we are looking at the 150 values in order to uh, cut. Okay. Any other thoughts on the program here this year? Or? Uh, if you want to join next year, we are always o- open for uh, uh, applicants and just uh, a great program to be involved in. That was Tara Bergen, coordinator with the Green Gold Program with Manitoba Forge and Grassland Association. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Knute. The Canadian Cattlemen's Association is speaking out on the issue of front-of-package labeling. Health Canada is proposing regulations which would require ground beef packages to carry a high in saturated fat warning label. The CCA's Tyler Fulton says they are strongly urging Health Canada to exempt all classes of ground beef from the proposed regulations. This is uh, uh, something that really resonates with our members because... They know um, that we can't afford to, to have another hurdle between the consumer and, um, and our operations because the margins are so thin that it, it would be, be another blow, um, another economic blow to the, to the viability of our farms. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association has 21 fields involved in its green gold alfalfa testing program this year. Here's coordinator Tara Bergen. Fields are looking pretty good with the amount of rain that we've had. We've had a little bit of uh, frost damage in a few sections where it was just slightly touched, but it shouldn't affect the overall crop. The current height is averaging about uh, 17 to 19 inches, depending on the area. Bergen expects to see first cut in the next week or two. And Nutrien says it will be adding hundreds of jobs in Saskatchewan in a major ramp-up of potash production capacity. The largest fertilizer producer in the world says it plans to increase its potash production capacity to 18 million tonnes per year by 2025, up 40% over 2020 levels. Saskatoon-based Nutrien says it will hire more than 350 new employees as part of the ramp-up that comes as the war in Ukraine drives concern over global food security. It says the bulk of new investment is happening at its Corey, Lanigan, Allen and Vanskoy mines in Saskatchewan. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Knute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire. For Friday, June 10th, I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glendalee Allen Vossler talks with Darren Qualman, NFU's Director of Climate Crisis Policy and Action. This week, the National Farmers Union released the second edition of its comprehensive report on greenhouse gas emissions from Canadian agriculture. To find out more about the report, Glendalee Allen Vossler talked with Darren Qualman, the NFU's Director of Climate Crisis Policy and Action. 
let's just start with the basics as as far as the need to look at this. Yeah, I think we identified a need. There had been a lot of talk about emissions, about how to reduce emissions, but there really was no place that people could go to look at what the emissions were, and what parts of agriculture produced them, uh, which ones were getting larger, which ones were going getting smaller. The data was really in a bunch of very hard-to-access reports from the government, and, and we brought that all together and put together about a 30-year data set so people can see at a glance uh, you know, where the emissions were coming from. And, and from that, they could start to think about how they could reduce emissions and how the government could bring out policies to support farmers in doing that. Now, in the latest edition, you were able to update things with the data for 2020. National Inventory Report comes out every year from the federal government, and those are kind of the official numbers for just about every category. And the new National Inventory Report just came out last month, and when we when that happened, we uh, went through that and put all those numbers in. A number of things changed, and then it, it also brought it up to 2020, the most uh, the latest year for which data is available. Of course, we can't go through every number, but maybe take us through some of the highlights, if you will. Yeah, when you put all this data together, um, a number of things become clear. One is that uh, emissions are rising, which, you know, isn't really surprising. That's probably true of a lot of sectors of the Canadian economy. If you look at them over a 30-year period, uh, emissions in agriculture in total are up about uh, by about a third since 1990. Uh, again, nothing surprising there uh, or, or necessarily negative. It just indicates, though, that if those emissions are rising and we have broad-ranging commitments to have lower emissions in 2030 and near zero emissions in 2050, that we need to go from an upward-trending emissions curve to a downward-trending curve. So that's the first thing. The second thing that jumps out when you look at the, the graph and the data is that the reason that the, the emissions are going up is because emissions from nitrogen fertilizer are going up. It's not driven by fuel use or cattle. Uh, emissions from cattle are actually going down. Uh, it's driven by the fact that in Saskatchewan, say, the amount of fertilizer used by farmers is quadrupled since the 1990s. Greenhouse gas emissions from cattle are going down? Yeah, two things are happening there. One, the herd is getting smaller. It, it went up quite a bit around uh, 2005. Uh, partly due to BSC and partly due to just a, a expanding herd. And then it peaked in 2005 and has been coming down since. So that's what part of it. And the other part is uh, just a little bit more efficiency, uh, lower greenhouse gas emissions per, per head and per unit of beef. So that shows up there too. So emissions from cattle are down probably by at least 20% uh, since 2005. What about emissions from fossil fuels? Emissions from fossil fuels turn out to be a little bigger than we'd, uh, we thought in previous versions of our analysis. Uh, when you add up all the fossil fuel use on the farm, you get you know, just short of 20% of total agricultural emissions. But then if you add in the greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuel use to make the inputs, uh, phosphorus fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer is a big one, and farm machinery, you, you find that that fossil fuel use is equal to about a third of total agricultural emissions. So there's no easy way to reduce those just yet. Um, no electric tractors out there. But uh, in the longer term, we're going to have to look for ways to reduce those emissions from fossil fuel use.
when we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, we also talk about soil sequestration. Yeah, and that was a big change that Environment and Climate Change Canada made between last year's National Inventory Report and this year. Uh, they brought in a new methodology, and that has meant that the estimates for soil carbon sequestration are quite different and quite a bit higher. Uh, we were looking at uh, almost 20 million tons of soil carbon sequestration per year on average in recent years. And that's just to put that in context, that's about a quarter, that equals about a quarter of the emissions. The emissions are about 80 million tons and sequestration is about 20 million tons. But we are making headway with sequestration. Well, we are and we aren't. It, it went up quite dramatically uh, between 1990 and the mid-2000s, but it's kind of flatlined. It's hard to know because it changes a lot from year to year depending on the size of the crop. But it, it isn't getting any larger right now, and it almost looks like it could be uh, decreasing a little bit. And that's not wholly unexpected. The capacity of soils to take up carbon is, there's a maximum there. You can't just keep putting more and more and more in indefinitely. Uh, it's, it moves back toward a level where it was before uh, farmers broke the soil and started farming it. So there's a maximum, and, and as those carbon levels get higher, the rates of sequestration will get slower. Uh, not sure if we're there yet or not, but that is something that's going to happen in the coming years. So based on the research that you've done, what overall, what's your, your general finding or, or conclusion as far as where we go from here? Well, like I say, the, the first step is just to really look at a report like this and, and understand what the emission sources are, because too often we, we jump to the question, you know, how do we how do we reduce them? So I think there's just a, a need to, to really spend a little time understanding them. But then when it does come time to reducing them, there's a lot of things that people can do to reduce emissions. A lot of programs are underway now, uh, whether it be nitrogen management or rotational grazing. Uh, some farmers are trying to figure out how to use cover crops in the Western Canadian context. That's a bit challenging. But, uh, you know, the step one is to to get the emissions curve to stop rising and then uh, hopefully to bend it downward because as we move toward 2030 and 2050, there's going to be intensifying pressure on every part of the Canadian economy to, to get to a place where their emissions are decreasing. The great thing about the agriculture industry that a lot of people outside of the industry maybe don't realize or recognize is that producers are very dedicated. That's really true, and it's also really at the forefront of our thinking around emissions reduction. Emissions reduction is, is a very important thing, and it's, it's really, there's going to be a lot of pressure to reduce emissions, but no matter what we do, it has to support farmers' livelihoods, and it has to support net incomes and margins, and, and certain things are really positive in that sense. So right now, uh, you know, the, the experts tell us that farmers can reduce fertilizer use through greater efficiency, et cetera. And that, that can mean producing the same crop with less fertilizer. And that means better, better margins and net incomes. And that's doubly true when you look at the fertilizer prices now. So uh, if we cut emissions by using fertilizer more efficiently, we can also increase net incomes at the same time. 
Darren, if somebody's looking for more information on this report, where can they go? How can they find it? Easy to do. Um, www.nfu.ca, nfu.ca, and you'll see a big blue button that says climate change. Just click there and you'll be taken right to the place where this report is and a number of other reports around solutions, uh, emissions reduction, and all the benefits to farmers. I've been talking with Darren Qualman. Darren is the NFU's Director of Climate Crisis Policy and Action. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen-Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Canadian Charlet Association is holding its AGM this week until June 10th. It'll take place in Russell. Visit charlet.com for more details. And the Miami Agricultural Society is celebrating its 25th annual rodeo along with the 113th annual fair June 25th and 26th. The Miami 4-H Beef Club will be hosting their inter-club judging competition on Friday and an open 4-H beef show on Saturday. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, joining us now is Neil Townsend with FarmLink Marketing Solutions to talk about the USDA June WASDE report. Yeah, I mean, we didn't expect much coming into this report. I mean, uh, you know, there's just so much unknown in terms of the growing season and all that kind of thing. So we didn't expect them to cut corn or soybean yield or make adjustments to the acreage given the ongoing nature of sort of, you know, the planting sequence, particularly in North Dakota, a little bit South Dakota and Minnesota. And that's generally what we got. I think one surprise was that they uh, cut U.S. uh, corn exports, which is sort of, you know, maybe supported by the export inspections and the export sales report, but not necessarily supported by the census, which is sort of the definitive, uh, you know, guide to what happens. I mean, the census report suggests much higher corn exports than the USDA forecast for 21-22, based mainly on something we know very well, that a lot of corn came into Canada and a significant amount of corn also went into Mexico to compensate for some drought down there as well. And, um, yeah, I guess any any big changes in the markets? or The markets have been, you know, relatively flat. Um, you know, again, they're kind of looking past maybe – you know, those types of details about, you know, corn being this or that. Um, but uh, again, I mean, you know, we're going to have to be careful here. There could be a little bit of, uh, you know, market adjustment or correction because, you know, people are going to be really focused now on sort of the weather going forward. And if the weather looks, you know, beneficial and that there's potential for upside to yield, we're going to see that kind of scale back a bit, the prices scale back. But likewise, if we get perceptions that suggest that the weather is compromising yield, particularly U.S. corn yield or U.S. soybean yield, you know, we're going to see probably uh, markets firming and even trading higher. And how, how is uh, seeding going in the U.S.? Seeding's pretty good, I mean, in the Corn Belt. I mean, now they've flipped the page more or less to, you know, okay, what are the growing conditions like? And they're still trying to assess in sort of North Dakota just exactly how many acres are going to go into the prevent plant. A lot of the critical dates for crop insurance have passed now, so people are taking a, you know, sort of a 
a discount for every acre they plant. Like they're going to get, they would be paid less if they plant after the date. And I mean, there are a significant number of acres in the U.S. that have, you know, a lot of water on them and are probably not going to get planted. And through the benefit of their system, they, you know, the farmer can still get uh, some return based on the prevent plant program. Anything else to touch on here in the report today, Neil, or? Uh, just one thing that I found pretty interesting. I mean, this was obviously in the May report as well, but I just looked at it. This one is that, you know, to really take soybeans from being, you know, fairly tight worldwide to pretty loose worldwide, uh, that's based on a 200 million ton combined production from Argentina and Brazil in 22-23. Uh, again, remember that crop hasn't been planted. I mean, it's, it's it's in the future. And that's, you know, that's an 18% increase over this year, albeit this year was a La Nina drought impacted crop. But to get an 18% increase next year, you know, we're a long ways away. A lot can happen and the weather is unpredictable and the La Nina is continuing as we know right now. So that is, that's something to watch for is to see where, where the South American soybean crop will be uh, going forward because, uh, you know, that is one of the things that sort of balances it out. But without that, if there's any problems in that crop, we're going to see a continuation of sort of like elevated oil seed prices. That was Neil Townsend with FarmLink Marketing Solutions talking about today's USDA June WASDE report. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The USDA released its June WASDE report today. Neil Townsend is with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. Yeah, I mean, we didn't expect much coming into this report. I mean, uh, you know, there's just so much unknown in terms of the growing season and all that kind of thing. So we didn't expect them to cut corn or soybean yield or make adjustments to the acreage, given the ongoing nature of sort of, you know, the planting sequence, particularly in North Dakota, a little bit South Dakota and Minnesota. And that's generally what we got. I think one surprise was that they uh, cut U.S. Uh, corn exports, which is sort of, you know, maybe supported by the export inspections and the export sales report, but not necessarily supported by census, which is sort of the definitive, uh, you know, guide to what happens. The first cut of alfalfa is expected to happen in the next week or two. Tara Bergen is the coordinator of the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association's Green Gold Program. She talked about the response this year. Uh, this year we have uh, 21 uh, fields uh, that we are testing throughout uh, Manitoba. It's very widespread. We have had a really good uh, results of uh, producers wanting to uh, join our program this year. Bergen says the current height of the alfalfa crop is about 17 to 19 inches. She expects to see first cut in the next week or two. And Health Canada's proposed front-of-package high-insaturated fat warning label for ground beef and ground pork is meeting some resistance. Tyler Fulton is with the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. If there was one underlying message from the new Canada Food Guide, it was really about moderating your, your consumption of ultra-processed foods. And the unique thing about this is that what they're suggesting is to put a high insaturated fat label on ground beef. Ground beef being a single ingredient, unprocessed product. The CCA notes that recent analysis shows that ground meat is a small contributor to the overall saturated fat Canadians are consuming. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. 
Hope you can meet us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.